Hello and welcome to Footnotes, the Cicerone podcast, a podcast to inspire you about outdoor travel and activities in the UK and across the world. I'm Hannah and thanks for joining us for our latest fortnightly episode. Today I'm talking to Moose Mutlow, who is in California at the moment and it has just started to rain, which is apparently a, a very unusual thing. So hi Moose. Hi there, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good, thank you. Today, we're going to talk to you a little bit about um, safety outdoors. So do you want to just introduce yourself a little bit and and tell us about who you are? So my name's Moose. I live and work uh, in Yosemite National Park, which is in California, for a non-profit called Nature Bridge, which is the largest provider of environmental education uh, for kids in national parks. We operate all over the country. And I have a background in outdoor guiding, social work, and teaching over the last 30-plus years around the world. So I've spent time in the Kalahari, teaching in a middle school. I spent time in Australia as a guide, working for Outward Bound. I, I started my outdoor career working in the Lake District and down in the south of France as a river guide. And I've just been really fortunate at having lots of opportunities that have stitched together over time to put me in the position now where I actually run an initiative to build a $50 million plus environmental education center for a permanent home for education in one of the oldest and most iconic national parks in the system. Yes. So we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more, but just firstly, you have got a bit of a mixture of an accent. What, what, where are you from and and where does your accent come from? I'm a very proud Brummie. I was born in Handsworth. I started traveling very early. I was very fortunate uh, to maybe not qualify with my A-levels like I should have done to get to college. And so I spent a year traveling and working in different jobs. And I've just basically never stopped moving. And it's my accent is a blend, I think, of, of being in Southern Africa, uh, Australia, and the US. People call it mid-Atlantic. So British people don't believe I'm British and Americans say I have a great English accent but it's it gets very confusing <laughs> I don't think you would pick out Birmingham it's great it's really nice where I come from <laughs> oh you've still got it there when you need it you've still got it. it there's a beautiful thing about Birmingham is everybody has an opinion about it and I have a deep deep and abiding love for my home city and uh when people are rude about it i i jump on them i make it very clear of my pride in coming from birmingham good so you so you should um and now you're working in yosemite and you're in charge of outdoor education and what is it about outdoor education that you think is so important i think in a world that's increasingly become disconnected with the outdoors and real experience and drifted into a virtual life this this curated uh, imagery for young people of w- what their lives might be and not actually what they're like. I think the idea that people get out and get dirty and a bit wet and feel the wind on their face, it makes such a difference. It clears the cobwebs out. It changes the thought process. It makes experiences real rather than imaginary. And while the imagination is important for kids, it has to have some level of fact behind it to sort of grow into something greater than mythical. So just having kids come out and see a squirrel racing up a tree, kids get really excited about that or deer. And imagine the impact of seeing a bear wandering past your tent and how you see its footsteps in the snow. Those are all those pieces that that start to talk about this greater thing out there. The natural world is a great thing. It's far greater than anything else. And it's a place to explore and, and savor. 
Yeah, I mean, we've done a lot at Cicerone. We're always trying to encourage people to get outdoors and the importance of being outdoors. And and that's re- it is really important that everybody gets to experience the outdoors. But it doesn't mean that it's without risk being outside. And yeah, we thought we'd talk today a little bit about some of the some of the dangers associated with being outdoors. Um, probably not so many bears in the UK as there are in the US. Um, yeah. We thought we'd just go through a couple of top tips of how you can enjoy the outdoors safely. So, what's your what's your main what's your number one top tip for being safe outdoors? Get a buddy have a friend to go and go on an adventure with because two people thinking through what an adventure is going to be or if you're faced with challenge it's a lot easier to get yourself out of it because you have twice the amount of potential information to work from and i think within that as well is to not have fear paralyze you i think a lot of there's a lot of exclusion in the outdoor world because of equipment or knowledge or the fear of media saying oh you've got to be worried about going up in the on this day because the fell's got winds and rain I think fear is another paralyzing point that stops us from going in the outdoors. And so finding gentle adventures to go out and explore is okay. Rails to trails, the idea of going on all railroad beds or an easy walk around a lowland lake or along a riverbank. That's all, that's all building that companion of experience that allows you to make safe decisions out there. It's, it's serving an apprenticeship ultimately. Yeah. I guess you can either find someone who's got lots of experience to take you under their wing or you can find a buddy who's also new to the outdoors and sort of learn together. I think when we when I was growing up, so I'm I'm 57. I look fantastic. Um, but the uh, but when I grew up, I, there was still the scouting organisations, all the girl guides, or there were outing clubs with museums that we were part of, and that's declined over time. That access to things like that, and so you almost have to reinvent it. So there are groups out there that really work with targeted populations where it's underserved communities in urban areas or in rural areas that you can find like-minded people who are looking for to build out their skills in a collaborative place and, and a place where you feel safe. Do you know any of those places that you'd recommend? Are there any resources where you can find things like that? I think I mean, you can start on social media and start looking around. Uh, Pammy Johal up in Scotland is running some really progressive programs that look at serving people of colour. And I think once you start actually doing some more targeted searches, you'll find these groups that uh, go beyond just talking about something and are actually putting feet on the ground and developing leadership skills in younger people. Yeah, I think, there, yeah, there are groups for all sorts of things. Um, I just joined a wild swimming group and I think there's, you know, there's there's quite a lot of, if you just Googled wild swimming for women or or whatever it was that you were interested in, you probably can find something fairly close by. And I think we have a responsibility as outdoor users to encourage people that we see showing an interest and maybe having that little standoff piece on the shore and not asking you a question to go up and engage them in a conversation. I think we can be role models for better communication. While swimming, I mean, should be advocating for access and clean water and the idea that we shouldn't just have sewage, sewage being pumped out in our rivers 200 days a year. Uh, we have a responsibility to build that constituency. So finding places to talk as well and draw people in is critical in building, I think, a stakeholder group that's ultimately going to change policy and give more opportunity. 
Yeah, I have to do a little plug as well for our Facebook group. Um, if you want to join our Facebook group, Cicerone Connect, um, that is exactly the idea is to put you in touch with people who are also into the same um, activities and you can chat to people in there. You can ask questions in there. Um, and I'm sure the the people in that group would have some really good ideas of groups that you could join and, and places where you could find days out and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, if you head over to Facebook and search for Cicerone Connect, hopefully that will be helpful. Okay, so top tip number one is find a buddy. What's your number two top tip? Talk to somebody and don't start buying gear left, right and centre. Start borrowing gear. The idea that you could buy a you know, three or four hundred pound piece of equipment and then go out for three days and discover you don't actually like walking on the fells is a terrible investment. So outdoors people have huge amounts of spare gear sitting in their garage or in the, under their bed because they're always buying new stuff. So share gear. Don't be scared about the cost and and find ways to reuse stuff that's out there. And when we talk about reuse, I think there's also re- rediscovery of skills. Like one of the best things that you can learn is to use a map and compass because technology is going to let you down when the battery runs flat. There are amazing mapping programs you can have on your phone, but you have eight to 10 hours of, of, of power in the phone. And then what happens when that storm lasts 12 hours? So make sure you have fundamental skills and fundamental skills are knowing how to collect water and treat water if you're out in a remote setting know how to deal with a little thing like a blister that can be really incapacitating. If you've got that new pair of boots, know how to put a little bit of moleskin on there and and look after it. And ideally get more than just a basic piece of first aid. There are some great wilderness first responder type courses that are increasingly available around the world that give you more than compressions and CPR. They give you ideas about risk management in the field and how to stabilize and assist other people out there so that you can back up mountain rescue or back up somebody on the ground. I think I feel like we went slightly into tip number three. So we had tip number two (laughs) is borrow gear, which I think is a really valuable thing. I think lots of people are feeling the pinch at the moment and not immediately feeling like you have to buy loads and loads of gear to go out and get outdoors i think that's really really important um so yeah borrow gear and then number three sort of skill yourself up yeah i i and and you don't need to be intimidated by it it's people have been doing it for centuries it's it's a really basic thing and if you find you're getting intimidated or scared find another teacher go online and find another place where you can download that map exercise it, 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 it's it's a really wonderful thing in Britain in particular with all those ordnance survey maps to have such fine detail. And if you understand those maps, you get a lot of opportunity to do legal trespass. You can go on those old trails. You can discover those bridleways. Throughout Europe, it's also a piece where you can actually go on those old uh, pilgrimage routes. and You understand it on so much more detail. And a map is such a gateway to knowledge. It's it's it it paints you a picture of what your adventure can be i think there are plenty of walking and and cycling days out you can do without understanding how to read a map um but you're right i think once you get to a certain point if you if you learn how to read a map you are just it is a gateway to to more and you can make your own adventures up much more easily um if you if you can sort of look at a map and see the possibilities there in front of you 
Um, we've got a lot of resources actually on the Cicerone website. Um, feel like this is more plugs for the Cicerone site than is, is normally in these podcasts. Um, <laughs> but we have got lots of information on map skills and first aid and that sort of stuff. And we've got these fabulous mini guides and they're about nine ninety nine, I think. And they're, they're these little small books that, you know, they, they could, at a pinch, they could replace a course, but probably you'd want to go and you do a course, but then keep these books as a, a backup in your in your rucksack. And they're so small that if then if you're out and you've kind of forgotten how to take a bearing or something, you can open the book up and, and remind yourself how to do it. Um, so they're, yeah, they're really worthwhile. And that, that's that idea of tip number four is you don't have to reinvent your adventure. There's, there's great resources out there that rate hikes or show you the complexity of what you're taking on. And you can thumb through the literature and say, oh, uh, on Saturday, I'm going to go and do this six hour hike and it's got 300 feet of gain and it's going to be on this loop. And there's this pub halfway round or there's this really interesting Neolithic circle to explore that you can grade out and you can let yourself into adventure in a digestible fashion. Sometimes people try to go far too quickly. I'm fantastically unimpressed by the increasingly bizarre world of outdoor challenges where people are saying things like, I'm going to take a bathtub across the Atlantic. I really don't care. I have no interest in that. That it's so contrived, and that the idea that we've got to that point of promoting that contrived adventure so much, we should just push that away. It's all just noise in the background, and really celebrate a bite-sized uh, epic of your own decision. So whether it's, it, I used to. I grew up near a place called Sutton Park. It's in Birmingham, and it's it's seven miles all the way around it. And one day I decided I was going to run around it. I was a teenager, and it was it was a big deal for me to go and explore this part. I'd driven, been driven around as a kid, and then I'd got a car, and I'd been able to drive, and then I ran around it. And that stands out in my mind as this digestible uh, adventure when I was probably 13 or 14. It's it doesn't have to be this world shaking thing every single time. It just has to fill your spirit and recharge you with all the natural world can give you. And part of that is views and maybe interacting with wildlife or, or taking a great photograph, but it's also seeing other people out on the trail or getting into the parking lot and saying, wasn't that great? Or did you see this and that, that there's community in that experience as well. Yeah, there is such a nice sense of community when you're out for a hike and you pass people and everybody says, oh, hi, morning. And and that's a really lovely thing that that you just get that connection with other people when, you, when you're out doing something. Even if it's miserable weather, you'll get people sort of saying, oh, nice day for it in a really sarcastic, or maybe not in America. I don't know. I don't know how sarcastic Americans are compared to Brits, but you know, nice day for it. And you think, yep, this is, this is awful. <laughs> well, and I think you can, I think there's also the chance to to move beyond that and say, you're sitting there having your sandwich and you're on a peak and we get into like, what job do you do and where are you from? Is to just ask people outright questions. I, I had, I've had really interesting experiences. After 9-11, I asked people what democracy was. I asked people what nationalism was. I just asked people these questions and listened to what people were telling me. And it was an, it was an education in itself in this media where a lot of barriers come down. 
because there isn't a listening device or there isn't this sort of idea that you're in this this echo chamber. You you have freedom at that point. And I, I love that level of engagement. I love the idea that you can have honest dialogue. I think it puts as much the, the 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 so many of the lessons of being in the outdoors is simply experiencing and listening. That that's in community as well. It's going to a position and listening, truly engaging on a level where you're having people give you information and you respond to that and they listen. There's there's tremendous beauty in that. So maybe that's top tip number five is is <laughs> be, become part of the community. Yeah, and really engage with that. And um, what about number six? Either either find a mentor or become a mentor. Find, be, become an apprentice. Allow yourself to learn. We talked a little bit about that with the map. But find people who are proficient who will take you along for a hike. And it might be somebody who maybe you're junior and they've just been extraordinarily lucky to get this sort of level of experience to become something of an expert compared to you. Or it's an older person who has eons of experience and they're, they're doing everything by getting on a bus and going to a bus stop and then climbing up a fell and then going home on the bus. Is, is the, best, the best learnings that are out there are, are through another human. And I think we need to rediscover apprenticeship and mentorship. And mentorship isn't just telling me, just saying, let me tell you the way it is. It's, it's again, it's that listening, it's that interchange, it's pitching lessons or learnings at the right time. And then as an apprentice, again, getting back to that point of listening and asking questions. Like we can say there are no stupid questions. Well, there are actually stupid questions. (laughs) There are questions that are so out there that you're like, I can't believe you just asked me that, but I'll give it a go at answering. Um, But the idea that you pace the the things that you asked to, to be in that moment. Uh, I, I was out on the Gulf of Mexico last year teaching a, a veterans program uh, out in canoes on the outer islands. And we had a, a participant there who'd been on courses before. And he gave an impromptu lesson about weather by drawing a, drawing this, this chart on the sand at the tideline. It was wet and showed how the air pressure changes and which direction the wind's blowing in as the cell comes over you. And it was the most vivid, beautiful thing. And it's a lesson that I was meant to be teaching, but he taught it. And he taught it so much better than I could possibly teach it. And in that moment, the person who's the mentor, who's the master, becomes the apprentice. And I think you, you have to have a lifelong desire to learn and to, to be willing to learn, to really get the most out of something like an outdoor setting, because it, it keeps you humble. And when you, stop being, when you stop being humble is when the accidents start happening. Yeah, that's a really good point. You start to be, you know, you get a little bit too sure of yourself and start to take your eye off the ball. And that is... Yeah, that is always where things happen, isn't it? Yeah, and it, I think that's that next lesson, whichever number we're on now, <laughs> is the idea when you make a decision, you're not just making a decision for yourself, you're making a decision for anybody who's coming to come and help you. So I'm deeply moved by the idea, the Royal National Lifeboat Institute, the idea that very ordinary people do extraordinary things over and over again. That, they, that the worst possible conditions, they head out on the waves to rescue. And it's the same with mountain rescue, is they're hobbyists who aren't necessarily getting financially rewarded and they choose to go out at the worst possible time. If your decision, a conscious decision, is to put yourself in danger, then you, you're also putting that entire team in danger. And I, I, I encourage people to be aware of that. 
we, we work a lot with helicopters in the United States, like in Britain, tremendous amounts of helicopter operation. And I talked to a helicopter pilot once what it was like to be flying in those dangerous conditions. And he said, helicopters are designed to self-destruct and the pilots are trained to stop them from doing so. <laughs> and I, I think anything the way you cram three or four people in a thing that you know is incredibly dangerous and defies physics in so many ways you're putting four or five people in danger at that moment because of what you've done. Some of it might've been because you just don't know any better because you haven't served apprenticeship or it might be because you were foolish and you just, you tried something that was way over your skis or you did it under the influence. You got high, you got drunk. That, those are, that's inexcusable at that position. The other two, there's a little bit more to talk about, but yeah, think about the consequences of your adventure. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't think there's many people who, who deliberately put themselves at, at risk. Um, but, you know, to make sure that you're not adding to that that number, what should you think about before you leave the house? Oh, I, I, for me, it's, it's, it's plan for the worst and expect the best. So if, you, if you're thinking, oh, I'm going on a six-hour hike, plan for a 10-hour hike. Take another liter of water, take another energy bar. Don't have your phone on, turn it off. Buy a little camera. Take pictures with your camera, not with the phone. Save that battery for when you might need it. And the idea that you take layers. I remember growing up as a kid in, in Britain in the Lake District, and I think it was up Seathwaite Fell, which is used to be probably before climate change, the wettest place in England. <laughs> and, you know, you take your cagoule because that was just a big bin bag that would just shed water off and you would keep nice and toasty in your sweaty wool thing underneath. <laughs> and it was fantastic. It was it was the way to go. But we were always over over prepared for the elements. But when it really sucked in, I was always really grateful for it. So the ultra light movement, uh, which moves to lighter packs or things doubling up with overnight gear, that's great. But don't choose not to take the things you need to be safe out there. Yeah, that's it's interesting that hearing you thinking about your planning and taking an extra liter of water and, you know, take something to fend off bears i think if you if you planned for a hike in the us but you were going to the lake district maybe you'd cover maybe you'd cover off a lot of those dangers that you you know didn't need to necessarily worry about i think there's a the, there are fewer fewer dangers here um compared with the us but there, if you, there, there might be fewer dangers in some respects i think that we have wild animals but you can manage animals grizzlies are a little bit different grizzly bears in in yellowstone and in alaska are a very different undertaking from any other wildlife i've ever interacted with um but the speed at which weather changes in the north of scotland is unbelievable the the way that that those systems roll off the north atlantic and you get four seasons in one day uh, and you can have it at two and a half thousand feet. It's here we have a lot more predictable weather patterns. Here we have a continent where you, you're seeing the atmospheric river uh, develop over the Pacific and you're days out because of surf buoys. I've been in the north of Scotland and woken up on a beautiful sunny day on a sandy beach south of Cape Wrath and thought this is going to be the greatest day ever. And then it just turns into the worst day <laughs> in, <laughs> in a moment. And so I, I think the complacency of not being prepared to what the, the British Isles can bring is, is a really important thing to bear in mind. Yeah, that's that's a good point. So maybe it's it's more like be prepared for where you are, you know, and, and learn what the, the risks are for where, where you're going to be. Because I think 
a lot of what a lot of people get caught out this time of year in the UK, it gets dark at sort of half past three, four o'clock. And I think that catches an awful lot of people out. And it's, you know, it's not hazardous all the time, but it's just something you need to be particularly aware of at certain times of the year. And if you get really focused on a goal, if you if it's an out and back hike where you're going to do a peak and you choose to push onto the peak and finish in two hours of darkness, you actually you maybe should have turned around earlier. We can we can become fixed on the outcome of the summit being the prize. And actually, the prize is getting back to your car at a decent time and not having a total epic and having to be rescued. That's the prize because you can always come back. The peak's not going anywhere. That's the beauty of geology. It's going to be there longer than you are. That 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 peak is absolutely Cataridris is going to be there for a few more million years. And <laughs> yeah, you've so got you time. Can, <laughs> yeah, you can come back and do it. And I I I think that 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 fixation on oh I've ticked another peak can be incredibly destructive to the experience, but it can also compromise safety really quickly, really quickly. Yeah, yeah. So you need to be prepared, and you need to be be prepared to change your plans as well yeah and adapt it's that's if the natural world doesn't teach us anything it should teach us one thing it's adapt it's the idea that you once you get stuck in that that rut and you're going in this direction and you don't take more information in or or sort of walk yourself back out of how you dropped into that uh that entrapment um things things cascade into problems very quickly okay i don't know how many tips we're we're on. <laughs> I've lost track. The final tip I would throw out there is this should be fun. That if you find yourself just struggling to generate enthusiasm and uh, just feeling like it's a chore, you pick other routes. <laughs> pick, pick routes that have more places to sit down. Pick routes that have less altitude gain and they're flatter. Pick routes that only take three hours as opposed to eight. So to scale your adventure to not be a suffer fest is really important. I worked in uh, personal development for many, many years with a group called Outward Bound internationally. And part of that experience is is suffering. Part of it is to, is to move through this challenge and show what you can do. But that's a curated experience. It's something that people are buying into that they know they're going to be guided through that. But our personal adventures don't need to be that traumatic. I don't backpack anymore because I spent 11 or 12 years leading young people on expeditions with 70-pound packs, which is just insane. But what I do <laughs> love to do is bicycle trips and r- river trips. And I love river trips because I get fresh tomatoes on day seven that aren't crushed because they've been on ice in the boat. And I'm sitting in a deck chair on a beach and I have all this comfort I've scaled my adventure to still give, feed that fire of discovery, but it's also recognizes where I am in my life and I like it a bit more comfortable and that's okay. Yeah, my, my dad's just got into walking and, um, and he likes to have a, a pub at the end. When you said before, pub halfway round, I thought, nah, there'd no, there'd be no way I'd be able to get him out of a pub if it was halfway around the walk. <laughs> that would be a really bad plan for, for me and him. But if it was if your walk was two miles and halfway was deemed to actually be at the parking lot and you're just going to go out and check out the bookshop down the way, it's I think it's all about scaling it for success. Yeah. And making sure that you enjoy yourself is is really important. Otherwise, you're not going to want to do it again. Yeah. Well, I uh, 
I, I, I came to California, one of the first years I came to California, I was at a college doing pickup soccer games. You would just turn up and play soccer. And it rained on one day and I turned up and the only other people that were there were all international people. There were Scots, there were Irish, there was a Zambian, there was somebody from Southern Africa, there was some Australians. We were, it was completely international. There wasn't a single Californian there. And I asked why they hadn't turned up. And they said, because it's raining. And I said, but we're here. And they said, yeah, but tomorrow it's not going to rain. It's going to be beautiful. Why turn up on a rainy day and play and not really enjoy it that much? And I think that's a really good outlook. It's, we get 240 plus days of sunshine. There's always going to be a sunny day to enjoy something. You can stop talking about that now. Thanks. <laughs> We can't afford to have that attitude of let's wait for it to not rain. <laughs> no, but I think I think there's a case for saying uh, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go up a peak today. I'm going to go and do a coastal hike because I'm going to see those waves crashing on the shore and really, really taste the salt in the air and get that energizing piece is scaling to what is presented. And in Scotland, it's when there's a sunny day, you get outside and you enjoy it. You don't say, oh, it's 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 a. It's a, a rarity. So you grab that opportunity. I think that's the other piece there is when, when everything lines up, don't sit on the couch, go out and grab it. What a perfect way to end this episode. That's just what a nice message to, to leave it on. Thank you for, for talking to us. It's been an absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed it. And I will yeah, try to make a note of what those top tips were. Um, in some sort of order and share those on our our social media as well Um, but yeah thanks so much for joining us Moose thanks Anne I really enjoyed it and thanks to you guys for listening to this latest episode of Footnotes the Cicerone podcast let us know what you think by leaving reviews on your podcast platform or you can email us live at cicerone.co.uk we'd love to hear from you to keep up to date with the podcast please follow or subscribe on your favourite podcast app or provider you can also listen on the Cicerone website where you can browse our full range of guidebooks, read plenty of articles and sign up to our newsletter. Have a look at www.cicerone.co.uk. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, search for Cicerone Press on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And you can also join our Facebook community group, Cicerone Connect, to connect with other outdoor enthusiasts. Thanks so much for joining us. I'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.